Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at a speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under, feet, under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Lord, we always need the anointing of the Spirit to preach the unfathomable word of God. You, Lord, in the flesh, as you preach, you declare that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to set at liberty those who are captive, and to preach the day of the Lord. Lord, we need your anointing to listen. We need your anointing to explain. We need your anointing to come into your presence. We need your anointing to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us. This is your word. You are the living word. And we are people of the word. We live by the word. Lord, you love us. We just sang about it. But many of your sayings are hard sayings. We see in John 6, when you declared some of these hard sayings, some of your followers said, this is a hard saying. Who can bear it? And they walked with you no more. May we not be like that. May we endure sound doctrine. May we embrace your love in your heart saints. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen. The outline today for this message, three points, there are three parts to this message, right in the text. And the first part would be a question. The first part of the outline would be a question. Is judging prohibited? Are we prohibited from judging? The second point would be the righteous way of correcting faults in others. And the last point would be the righteous way to judge the dispensing of kingdom treasures, the giving out of kingdom treasures. The Senate confirmation hearing for Judge Neil Gorsuch for the vacant seat on the Supreme Court was huge news this week. Senators wanted to know whether the judge would interpret the Constitution based on its original meaning. And that sentence grabbed me this week. I zeroed in on that sentence. 
The word originalist was thrown around and I could not help but pause and reflect on the scriptures and on the sermon on the mountain general and in this section we are today in particular. As I watched the faces of law clerks assembled in the hall, I wondered what would and what should be their response if the judge made a declarative statement that the to the effect that he was not an originalist in the interpretation of the Constitution. What if he said that? What would be their response? I wondered. Moreover, how would it affect the would-be judge, judge's chances of qualifying for the seat on the highest court in the land? As we look at our lesson today, I would like you as citizens of the kingdom to consider if we are as zealous as those senators to adhere to the greatest constitution, the word of God, and to interpret it based on its original meaning. These men were zealous. They wanted to know if he will interpret it based on its original meaning. Just before the Lord was taken up into heaven in a cloud, he said to his disciples, who asked him about the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. He said to them, It is not for you to know times and seasons which the Father has fixed in his own authority, but you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. The power Jesus promised was not just the power to preach the gospel, but also the power to endure hardship for the gospel as you hold fast to the original meaning of the greatest constitution the world has ever known. Right here. Greatest constitution. We must hold fast to it. In Acts 22, verse 20, Paul testified before the Sanhedrin. He says this, and when the blood of the witness was being shed, thy witness was being shed, that is Stephen, I also was standing and approving and watching out for the cloak of those who were slain him. I'm not going to go into the text in Acts 7 on this first account of the church's first martyr, Stephen, but I'll say this man stood before the religious council and preached the gospel to a group of men who refused to acknowledge Jesus as Messiah. They just refused. And we just heard the scriptures read, we heard the song sang, and it's irrefutable who Jesus Christ is. So what Stephen did, Stephen started out with Abraham, being called out of the Chaldeans. He went to the death burial and resurrection and the ascension of Christ. He interpreted the gospel based on its original meaning from the very foundation. Stephen narrated the council, to the council that day that the gospel from an originalist interpretation of the constitution of the kingdom of God. That's what he did. He interpreted the gospel from an originalist interpretation of the gospel of God. And we must be able to do that as well because the gospel of God started before the foundation of the world in the garden 
all the way to Revelation, and it points to one person and one person only. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Now, if we practice being a witness for the gospel of Christ, by which we are saved, at some point you will encounter someone who accuses you of falsely judging them. Everyone who witness to a non-believer will come up against that question. Why are you judging me? You will also encounter religious men who, want, who would insult you, intimidate you, accuse you, judge you as you stand firm, holding fast to the original intention, to the original meaning and interpretation of the gospel of Christ. You see why that phrase grabbed me this week? It grabbed me. Because it's what the Bible is all about. We cannot bring stuff into the Bible 200 years later and say, this is the scripture. We have to go from the foundation and hold fast to the truth of the Bible. And if these men are so zealous for the Constitution of the United States of America, we too must be zealous for the greatest Constitution, the Word of God and the Kingdom of Heaven. Mark talked about glorification in the Bible study. That's where we will end up, folks. We have to stand firm for it. Counter it, guys. Men and women, brothers and sisters. Steal your resolve to never relent in the face of slings and arrows and fiery darts that will come against you because of the truth. Expect it. Stephen was stoned to death. Because of the truth. But before he died, he lifted, lifted up his eyes to heaven and God granted him, or God granted to him, the beatific vision. Mark mentioned that in his message this morning. The beatific vision, face to face with Christ. Stephen saw Jesus. You know, Jesus is usually sitting at the right hand of God. But at that point, Stephen saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And I believe that was a stand. He was applauding his servant for standing firm in the face of death. For the truth, once for all, handed down to the saints. He saw that vision of Christ. Being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Would you like to see Jesus? Do you want to see Jesus? Do you long to see Jesus? Stephen saw him. We suffer minor hardship, church. Minor hardship. Like erroneous accusations for being originalist. Witness of the gospel. With words like, you can't judge that I'm a sinner. Who are you to judge me? Your God is an angry God of wrath, but my God is a God of love. So you are judged for representing the wrong God as though there's some other God. And many times the unbeliever would quote this very passage right here. Do not judge lest you be judged. This verse will be used to stop discernment, moral discernment, and spiritual evaluation. 
Because when we witness, a lot of times we evaluate the spiritual condition of the person we are witnessing to. Many times in our evaluation, we find out this is a child of God and we have sweet fellowship. Many times in our evaluation, we find out this is a person in need of the gospel. And in love, we share the gospel, but we are accused, we are judged wrongly. But we must endure. On the other hand, though, the same passage used by non-believers to quiet the witness for Christ is meant for true believers in Christ. Because like everyone else from Adam's race, we, us, we also have the propensity to assume the worst about people, to pass bad reports, to misinterpret a person's word as something hurtful when it is unintended, to conclude about an individual or situation without knowing all the facts or just have the facts. Paul was judged harshly by the church at Corinth. People for whom he endured much affliction so that he might preach the gospel to them. They harassed him, they accused him, they judged him. In the second letter to the Corinthians, Paul had to describe himself, defend himself, defend his apostleship in the defense of unrighteous judgment by the Corinthians. This is what he said. You are looking at things as they are outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself that he's in Christ, let him consider this again within himself. Just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast somewhat further about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not destroying you, I would not be put to shame. For I do not wish to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letter when absent, such persons we are also indeed when present. For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves, but when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond our measure, but with the measure of the sphere which God apportioned to us is a measure portioned to us as a measure to reach even as far as you, Corinthians. Verse 17 says this. But he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. And that's what we did this morning. We sang about his love. We sang about Christ. We must boast in the Lord. For it is not he who commends himself that is approved. But he whom the Lord commends. So because Jesus knew from experience the mindset of the crowd he was speaking to that day on the mount. He did two things. He identified the sin and he gave a solution. So if you're in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, the first point is the question. 
is judging prohibited? Look at the text. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. You look at that right away and you say, you see, that's what the unbeliever said. The Bible says do not judge. That's what they cling to. Let's define judging. Judging is an act of looking down upon someone to regard with contempt or disdain, to regard as inferior, usually accompanied with the action of raising one's hands in physical violence or in one's voice in verbal violence. That's one definition. Here's the other definition. Forming an opinion or an estimation about someone after careful consideration. So considering the cultural context of the sermon, where Jesus was preaching that day, where the Gentiles were considered dogs, women, were property, you had a world superpower, Rome, occupying the land, and corrupt religion was the order of the day. Men who would just not follow Christ, not follow the truth. They looked out for themselves. It is easy to see the first definition working itself out in the daily affairs of the people. The Romans were looking down on the people of Judea. The Pharisees were looking down on the other people because they were the separated ones. Regarding them with contempt, disdain as inferior. We know that happened with the Pharisees. We know it happened with the Romans. Historically also, we know the physical violence, that physical violence is a norm when an occupying power occupies the land. We know that. So Jesus from the mountain says this, Do not judge lest you be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by the standard you measure, it will be measured to you. By looking at these words carefully, we can agree, we should agree, that they are not, in, in these words, there is not an absolute prohibition from judging, if you look at the whole context. We are not prohibited from judging. But the Lord's intention is to give them and to give us the righteous way of judging. That's plain and simple. That's what he's doing. Right judgment is an integral part of the life of the redeemed. We have to judge. We must judge. The very life of the Christian is governed by judging. How, you may ask, how is the life of the Christian governed by judging? Well, the word of God is the final authority for the Christian. In the life of the believer, we go by the Bible, and the word of God acts like a judge. Some people think the conscience is the final judge. The conscience is not the final judge. The conscience can excuse you when you do something right and accuse you when you do something wrong. Right? But the conscience is not the perfect judge because it can be hardened and become callous. You can do something wrong and rationalize that it's right with your conscience. So it's not the final judge. You could do something right 
and find yourself in condemnation because most people around you didn't agree with you. You're right, but you're being pressured. And that happens to the Christian a lot of the times. We are right about where we stand, but we feel intimidated on our conscience and maybe I'm wrong. And Christians back off from holding fast. So the conscience is not the final judge. The word is the final judge. So how do you explain, in our culture right now, how do you explain educated men with high influence over millions, millions, who have been teaching the Bible for years, and still look at a text of scripture, which is irrefutable and still refuse to let go of what is false and hold fast to the interpretation based on the original meaning of this great constitution. How do you explain that? We know it happens. We see it happening. How do you explain it? Conscience. Because they know it and they refuse to. Hardened conscience, suppressing the truth. So that the word of, but the word of God is the final judge. Hebrews 4.12 says this. For the word of God is living. It's active. And sharper than any two-edged sword. And piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit. Of both joint and marrow, and is able to judge the thoughts and the intention of the heart. That's the final judge, the Word of God. We cannot escape the Word of God. We have no wiggle room with the Word of God. We have wiggle room with our conscience, but not with the Word of God. The Word of God is the judge, the final judge. We cannot judge as the word of God judge. But we must apply the word of God in our judgment. First to ourselves. Guys, if we could ever learn this one lesson. This is what Jesus is teaching us right now. We got to judge ourselves first. Let the word of God scar us. Let it bruise us. For the word of God is like a hammer, Jeremiah says that smashes the most stubborn resistance. The word of God is like fire that burns out all the, the garbage that's in us. And the word purifies. That's the word of God. That's what it does. We must first let the word of God judge us. And secondly, now we can judge others. And this is exactly what the Lord is teaching us. Now, Jesus, being the living word of God, used the word of God in the sermon. He did not say it is written as when he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. But, but, but as he taught the people that day, his words flowed out of the written laws and the prophets. For instance, in Leviticus, Moses gave the people the law. In Leviticus 19.15, it says this. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great. But you are to judge your neighbor fairly. Judging is right in the scriptures. We ought to judge. But Jesus is teaching us how to judge. Who then is my neighbor? Remember that guy? Who then is my neighbor? You have to judge your neighbor fairly. Remember that question, that smart aleck? Asked Jesus when he was talking about the two great commandments, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. 
At that time, Jesus gave the beautiful parable about what he was talking about here today, what he is talking about here today. Righteous judging and unrighteous judging. Remember? In the parable of the Good Samaritan, the priests and the Levites came up with the wrong conclusion. We're not going to go into that because you guys are schooled in the scriptures. You know the story of the Good Samaritan. We build hospitals, and we call it Good Sam Hospital. We know that story. So what happened? The priest and the Levite came up with the wrong decision because they judged wrongly. While the Samaritan came up with a righteous conclusion and hence he made the right decision. Deuteronomy. Moses spoke to the head of the tribe. He says this. Then I charge your judges at that time saying, Hear the cases between your fellow countrymen and judge righteously between a man and his fellow countrymen or the alien who is with you. You shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not fear man. This is in the law. And the fear of man causes wrong judgment. You shall not fear man. For the judgment is God's. And if the case is too hard for you, you shall bring it to me and I will hear it. That's what Moses did to the elders. His father-in-law gave him that little secret, father-in-law Jethro, because he was listening to all the cases and he was, he was worn out, tired. And Jethro said, no, just assign it to, by tribes and let them judge. But judging is a part of the Christian heritage. So the question is, is judging prohibited? And you say, it's not. It's not prohibited. Jesus wants us to learn in this wonderful, wonderful sermon how to judge more than not to judge. Let me repeat that again. Or repeat it. And you can write it down. Jesus is teaching us how to judge more than not to judge. What if for the, least, for the last 2,000 years these principles were etched in the very fabric of Christendom? What if they were embraced by all who were exposed to them? What if Christians really loved Jesus by obeying these principles from the heart? What if? I wonder if the world would be turned right side up. Judging with righteousness does not guarantee acceptance by all, church. It does not. Because as you draw back from teaching that refuse to interpret the greatest constitution based on its original meaning, some will draw back from you. And that, and you should be okay with that. Because the Lord is with you. One. And that's a small price to pay for the truth. A small price. Stephen was stoned to death, guys. Christians die because of the truth. So if people draw back from you, and you're holding fast to the truth, doesn't matter who they are. The truth, the Bible, the greatest constitution, is what you hold on to. I describe it this way. 
in our impact last week. You're on a roller coaster. The biggest one in the world. The fastest one in the world. Do you hold on like this? Or do you hold on like this? That's the way we ought to hold on to the truth of God once for all handed down to the saints. We do not let go. In spite of what? So what if everybody leaves you and you're the only one? You're never the only one. Christ is always with you. How was the Lord judged? He was judged too. Let's turn to this passage real quick. In, in, Matthew, in John chapter 7, let's look at it. Hold your finger in Matthew 7. We're going to go through this real quick. In John chapter 7, how was he judged? Was he judged fairly or was he judged unrighteously? Are we there? Let's start in verse... Nineteen. Jesus asked this question. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you carries out the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who seeks to kill you? So number one, they accused Jesus of being demon-possessed. Think about that carefully. The one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who cast out demons, can Beelzebub cast out Beelzebub? He said at one point. Can the devil cast out the devil? You have a demon, they said to Jesus. Jesus answered them, I did, not, I did one deed and you all marvel. For this reason Moses has given you circumcision. Not because it is from Moses, but from the Father. And on the Sabbath you circumcise a man. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses will, be, will not be broken, are you angry at me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? Verse 24. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge how? So judging is not prohibited. We have to judge. But we must judge How? Righteously. We must judge righteously. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Andy read it for our reading this morning. This is why, guys, we have to practice. You know why? Because we are law students. We're not even studying to be lawyers. We skip that. We're starting to be judges. Like Judge Neil Gorshik. He wants to get on this. That's what we are studying to be judges. That's what Andy read this morning. We are law students preparing to practice law in all the, in all the earth and in heaven. So we must take this course seriously if we want to pass the heavenly bar. We must take it seriously. Let me read it again, what Andy read. Does any of you, when he has a case against his brother, dare to go before the unrighteous and not before the saints? 
Or do you not know that the saints will judge whom? The world. The saints will judge the world. And if the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? Do you not know that you would judge whom? Angels. A lot of people want to worship angels. You would sit in the great tribunal of God and judge them. How much more matters in this life? So how are we doing in this course so far? How are we doing? Would you get credit from the righteous judge in the way we judge others? Can you say as Paul from now on, I judge no man according to the flesh. Paul evaluates carefully before he judges. He judges righteously. How are we doing? Do you judge a man based on his education or his station in life? Or do you judge a man from the eyes of Christ? If Christ did that, every Pharisee would be his follower, and those fishermen. There would be no way in scriptures today. But Christ judged righteously. Do you ever consider that the sovereign Lord made people to differ from you for his own glory, for his own purpose? We have to consider it. We are different because God made us different. God raises up kings and he brings them down. We must be all right with that because God is sovereign. Do you ever consider that the sovereign Lord does everything to please himself? Do you consider all sides of the issue or do you ever try to walk in another man's, like the Native American says, in his moccasins? Do you ever walk in a man's shoes before you make judgment? Listen, guys, Jesus, the master teacher, he moves us from that type of judging that is not prohibited to the righteous way of finding fault. Back to Matthew chapter 7. He's moving us now. He says, and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eyes? And do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eyes. So the first thing we have to notice in this section is that Jesus do not want us to leave the speck in our brother's eyes. Did you notice that? Did you notice that? He does not want us to leave the speck. So some kind of judging must take place there. There's a speck in my brother's eyes. And I got to take it out. But at the same time, I got a log in mine. So that's why we must always let the scripture speak to us first. Deal with us. So when the scripture deal with us, or we can get that log out, that plank out, then we will see clearly. That's what he's teaching. 
His admonition and prescription is the right way of correcting a fault. As he's preaching the sermon, scripture again flows like a gentle river. We just sang about an ocean. But scriptures flow through the life of Christ. The Old Testament scriptures, by the way, that's the Bible he used. It flows through his heart and his mind and his lips. Because he's thinking about the scripture in Ecclesiastes 7, written by the wisest king, King Solomon. King Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 7.20, Indeed, there is not a righteous man on the earth who continually does good who never sins. That's the word of God. And Jesus knows it. And we must know it. So when we see the speck, we got to remember it. Guys, there's a million, a trillion ways to sin before a holy God. God is so pure, so holy. There are a million ways we can sin every day. And that's what the Lord wants us to see. Where did I sin? Let me take it out before I can deal with anybody else. It's not a man. Do you remember the case? tried before when that mob brought that woman to a stoning. I call it a rock concert. They brought her there to stone her. They were seeking his approval for following the law in the matter of adultery. There, there are many speculations. You guys know that story as well, right? There are many speculations about what the Lord did or wrote on the ground as he stooped to the ground. Let me use my sanctified imagination a little bit here. I think Jesus, this is not biblical. This is, nobody knew what he wrote, but we know who Jesus is. I see the Pharisees. This is what I was thinking. I see the Pharisees. I see the mob. I see the stones, big ones, slingshot-sized ones. But where's the man? Where's the man? Where's the second person in this act of adultery? I know the Sadducees wouldn't bring a man to this execution. So Jesus stood up. He stood up and he declared, Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. That's wise judging because he knows the scripture. There's not a man on earth. Not a man on earth that is righteous. And continually does good who never sins. So Jesus knew there was sin in the heart of these men who brought that woman to the stoning. So he says, if you're without sin, you cast the first stone. Not one stone was hurled at the woman that day. Why? Because she was in the presence of the righteous judge. And you can take consolation from this church. When you stand before Christ, you are standing before a righteous judge. Righteous through and through. And he would deal with you accordingly, with mercy, with forgiveness. He would deal with you according to your deeds, the scripture says. Because he is without sin, he could say to the woman, Where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? Neither do I condemn you. But listen to this. Go and sin no more. He was not making excuses for her sin and for our sin. 
He said, I don't condemn you. Romans 8, 1 says, therefore now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because there are a trillion ways to sin before a holy God. And you should have been in the Bible study this morning because it spoke of glorification. And glorification is we are not in the presence of sin anymore. We cannot sin anymore. We are before holy God. But while we are here, So right judgment always starts out with presupposition. Like, just take the apostles for example. They, say, they call them, these guys have no learning. How can they speak like that? These guys are Galileans. You ever hear any good thing come out of Galilee? What they were doing, they were presupposing that unschooled people are incapable of deep comprehension that escapes the wise of this world. But Jesus chose the unschooled. Over there in Matthew eleven twenty, Jesus said something that's amazing. He lifted up his voice to heaven. He said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent, but you have revealed them to infants. That's the sovereignty of God. God chooses Whomever he wills, he's the righteous judge. Right judgment always bends towards truth and impartiality. Guys, justice is not blind. That's a famous axiom, I suppose. Justice is blind. Justice has no blind spots when her eyes are fixed on Christ, who is the light of the world. Christ is the light of the world. So because they did not take the love out of their own eyes, they could not see to remove the speck in the woman's eyes. Compared to the sin of the woman, the sin of the Sanhedrin, like a log. The woman's sin was like a speck. What was their log? Just consider the Pharisees, or the Pharisee who was praying next to the tax collector. He was in the temple. He was standing up before a holy God. And what was he doing? He was boasting about his perfection. Lord, there's none. He does this and he does that. And I I pay tithes. I'm perfect, Lord. I'm a perfect man. He was boasting about his accomplishments. Praying to himself while judging the tax collector. I'm not like this man, a swindler. And he's doing that before a holy God, accusing this man, judging him. Our Lord has a tender place in his heart for those who see themselves in light of his perfection. Always remember that. When you see yourself in the light of the holiness of God, when you see yourself in the light of the perfection of God, you're going to see people differently. You'll see yourself differently first, and you'll see people differently. You'll have some compassion for people. So he says, hypocrites, first take the love out of your own eye, 
And then you will see to take the log out of your brother's eyes. He said to the self-important in Matthew 23, 23, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithes with mint and cumin. That's the smallest produce of their home garden, everything. But he said, but you have omitted the weightier matter, the weightier matter. I know God, when you talk about God's holiness, you're speaking about his weightiness. The weightier matter of the law. What is the weightier matter of the law? Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. He says, these are the things you should have done without rejecting or neglecting the others. And then he calls them blind guides who strain at a gnat. A gnat is a tiny little insect on the beach. You spend a lot of time on the beach in the Caribbean, you'll be eaten about 6 o'clock in the afternoon, early evening, they come out. You can't see them, but you can feel them. You strain at a gnat, but you swallow a camel. You see, the gnat is a speck. The camel is the log. And sometimes they strain at this little, and the biggest sin is there. Do you love justice? Do you love it? Do you despise injustice? Now is the righteous judge who is teaching this course now. Not to be lawyers, to be judges. We read it from the scripture. We are going to judge the world. We are going to judge angels. Do you love justice? Do you love mercy? This is what the Lord requires of you, O man. Micah 8. Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. You see the Pharisee in the temple that day? He was walking humbly with his God. He knew he was a wretched man. He looked at himself first when he went into the temple. He said, I'm a dirty dog sinner. I don't even need to be here. He wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he said, oh Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner right next to the guy who was accusing him of being a sinner. He knew he was a sinner. This guy thought he was altogether righteous. And Jesus says, this one here went down to his house justified rather than the other, the one who thought he was holy and just. We must love mercy. We must love justice. We must be uncomfortable in the, face of in the face of injustice. So Jesus now moved from the right way of correcting fault to the right way of dispensing kingdom treasures. And this is a hard one because it looks like it's disjointed. He says, do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swines lest they trample them on their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. If you spend a lot of time in the Proverbs, my wife does, you will notice detached sentences, each packing a punch of wisdom instead of a flowing discourse or a flowing narrative. Bam, 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 bam. Conviction, though. The Proverbs gives you... Like, I didn't see, let me just say this... You know, there's a guy in our church in the back there, Troy Flowers. He always comes up to me sometimes and says, give me a nugget. 
I've been in this church a long time, and so has Troy. And I've seen a lot of people come and go. But I believe what Troy does, he takes nuggets and he chews on them for a long time. And I believe those nuggets sustain him. And he would say, give me a nugget. And he would go away with a nugget. And he chews on them. So that's what Proverbs are. They're nuggets. But they convict you. And if you, oh, they convict you. So here's some of the, why I believe this last verse 6 is disjointed. In Proverbs 16, 8 through 10, it says, better a little with righteousness than great income with injustice. See there again, God is speaking about justice. He's teaching us who are going to be judges one day. He says it's better a little with righteousness than great income with injustice. And then he switches. The mind of a man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. And then in verse 10, a divine decision is in the lips of the king, but his mouth should not err in judgment. He's speaking about judgment. Let these, like these verses in Proverbs, verse 6 seems connected from the previous five verses and the previous part of the sermon. Verse 6 also seems disconnected from previous instruction of preaching the gospel to every nation. Go on the highways and the byways and command them to come in. But Jesus says here, back to Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, Do not give. Do not give. For what is holy, guys, is the, and pearls. What is holy, holy and what, is, what are pearls? is Christ himself. It speaks of Christ. He is the pearl of great price. He is the lily of the valley. He is the bright and morning star. He is the fairest of the entire thousand. He is the gospel. Did you know that? Christ is the very gospel. You can't preach the gospel without Christ. He is the gospel. He is superior. If you want to heal yourself from superiority like that Pharisee, that superiority complex, study Christ. Just study him. The only thing he boasted about, he says, come unto me, all who are weary and heaven laden. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm lowly, I'm humble, I'm gentle of heart, and you'll find rest for your soul. This is the King of kings and the Lord of glory. How can we be superior when the king says, I'm lowly, I'm gentle, learn from me. What are we learning from him if we have a superiority complex? This is what he's dealing with. Study Christ. The Christ that is found in the pages from Genesis to Revelation, by the way. Christ of the Bible. He's superior to the prophets to angels, to Moses. He's the supreme object of faith. He's superior in his qualification, in his priesthood. He's the fulfillment of all the promises. All of them. And you know what? 
You should be here in the Bible study. We are joint heirs with him in glorification. Joint heirs. All of the promises. He's the true superpower, guys. He's superior in love. True love now. Why? He laid down his life for his friends. Would you lay down your life for me? Would you go to the stake in my place? Come on, Linda. I see you laughing. Will you? Oh, there you go. Linda loves me. Lay down your life for your friends. That's true love. Christ is the pearl of great price. So who are the swines and the dogs? We cannot judge people and say, you're a swine, you're a dog. That's where we have to have righteous judgment. This is the litmus test of righteously judging how to discern the dispensing of kingdom treasures. Swines and dogs are hostile towards God. Have you ever run into a person who is hostile towards Christ and towards God? There's nothing you can do or say. They're not hostile to you, but towards God, towards Christ. This is the test. Paul sums it up in 1 Corinthians 16. Let's turn there real quick. How am I doing for time back there? I'm, you're the man. Okay, brother. Because you've got two meals today. You have a great meal awaiting you here. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 21 through 24. Paul says at the end of this letter, the greetings is in my own hand, Paul. Paul had somebody who would write for him, but this time he writes the greeting with his own hands. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. And then he says, Maranatha, which means come quickly, Lord Jesus. And then he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love is with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. If anyone hates Jesus, stand in your face and curse Jesus. Curse God. That's a clue to you. Don't waste your time with swines. Okay? We have to preach this Christ to every creature. But we are to employ the discerning spirit we have inherited at salvation to dispense the gospel as sheep in the midst of wolves. We would be in tough places dispensing this gospel, spreading the seed, giving out the word. It's not always easy. We must be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. The dog would attack the doves. You ever seen a dog chasing a pigeon all over the park? Dogs chase doves, and that's what we are. We are doves. We must be harmless. We can fly up to heaven, though. If you are dovish in your witness and is attacked, 
Don't give what is holy to dogs. Use your wisdom. A swine will trample beautiful pearls in the mud. I know about pearls. I worked as a pearls salesman in Kahanapali Beach on Maui in the Wheeler's Village. I handled a lot of pearls. Good pearls. Nikimoto. But there's also a, a, a pearl from Italy. Mallorca pearls. They look just like real pearls, but they're not. So I'm acquainted with pearls. But beautiful pearls, the swine would just trample it. You would give them Christ and they would treat Christ as nothing. Something to be trampled on the foot. And you have to use the discerning spirit God has given you at salvation to discern. Is this a swine in my face? Once they start trampling on the beauty of Christ, the loveliness of our Lord and Savior, you can know. You can know. We must judge ourselves more harshly than anyone else. Because our eyes are on Him. When our eyes are on Christ, when you move up to the light, you can see stuff you can never see even here. If I go right up to that light, I'll see stuff that I cannot see here. And the closer you get to Jesus, you're going to see more flaws, more sins, more imperfection. So we've got to judge ourselves before we judge others. This is what Jesus is teaching us. Even when we judge the swines and the hot dogs, we have to be wise in our judgment. Bless his holy name. So, if any of you here today are without Christ, and you know that you are without Christ, but you're not hostile to him, you do not hate Christ, listen, if you have any tender feelings as you hear about Christ, you didn't get that feeling on your own. He's drawing you to himself. Surrender to Christ. Judge rightly. If this is feelings of my own, or if it was imputed to me, everything we get in salvation is imputed to us. Faith is imputed to us. To believe in Christ is imputed to us. Embrace it. Surrender. Bow to Christ, the King of glory, the Lord of lords. Surrender to him. And you know what? One day, you would see him face to face as Stephen. You would have that beautific vision. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this course in judgment. We thank you, Lord, that we are in the school Not as lawyers. You are the advocate. You are our advocate. You are training us to be judges. (laughs) And we thank you. We praise your holy name. Give us wisdom. Wisdom, Lord, to follow the righteous judge. In his name we pray. Amen.